It was the scariest, um, most difficult, confusing, exciting, most wonderful day of my life. I mean, <laughs> I mean, when you when you realize that God is allowing you to be a father, I, I don't I don't know what to compare that to, you know. And then on top of that, when you when it, when it seems that he's deemed you fit to be the stepfather to his son, that's a, that's overwhelming. Um, he's a he's perfectly healthy, happy baby boy that um, came into the world. I guess just like most every other kid, you know. Um, I, I get why they call it labor. <laughs> I mean, since I was 12, I've worked every day in my life, but I've never worked as hard as Mary worked that night. She was, she was amazing. And, and not just that night, I mean, through all of it, through, through the months of people talking about us behind our back and um, the week-long journey to Bethlehem. And then... And then we get there, and she, she, she takes an ordinary feeding trough and uh, and turns it into a cradle, and none of it seemed to phase her. She's amazing. And you know what? Through through all of it, I never heard her once ask why. Why? You know, she just. She just did everything God asked her to do. And if she didn't understand why things happened, she knew God was in control. She just, she, she, she followed his will. I, I get, I get it. Man, I get why God chose her. I really do. What I don't, understand is why he chose me. Well, good morning, Colonial Woods. How are you doing today? Oh, man, that sounds like a lot of turkey and dressing left over. How you doing? Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, uh, I've been doing a kind of a low-carb thing, but let me tell you, when I break a fast, I break a fast. Before I had <clears throat> lunch on Thursday, while everybody's waiting in line for their turkey and dressing, I had a piece of custard pie. Then I went up and had dressing and turkey with gravy on top, after which I had a piece of pecan pie. 5.30 at night, I ate another piece of pie. <laughs> Let's just say I have been in sugar shock for about uh, three days. But anyway, I had a great time. Hopefully you did as well. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, take them, turn to Matthew chapter 1. And if you didn't kind of catch the theme, Chronicles 
of Christmas. It's a play off of Chronicles of Narnia, the C.S. Lewis uh, trilogy, turned into a movie trilogy, but the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe is kind of where we're focusing in on and the different characters. And I even saw on the graphic, I started paying attention to the words. And there's uh, Lucy and Susan. They're the daughters of Eve. And you have Edmund and Peter, the sons of Adam. You have Aslan, who is the lion, who is the Jesus character, the one who sacrifices himself. The evil witch is the satanic uh, uh, the deceiver and so on and on as we look at the allegory that really is a Christmas story and even the phrase always winter never Christmas we're going to be using that as kind of a template this season as we look at different characters the chronicles the stories of those who are around the original Christmas celebration and today we're looking at the life of Joseph now I don't know if um, you identify with this or not but I've kind of noticed and it's not so much now because I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, but I know that when I was young that I never imagined other people who were older being real people. You know what I'm saying? Like grandma and grandpa, you never imagined the fact that they, they were real people or that mom and dad were real people, that previous generations, that they actually had hopes and dreams and they had regrets and they had, that they went through, like, like I know for myself, before I got my license, how excited I was and how I never thought that day would ever get there. And it never occurred to me that, well, at least for a couple of generations, they had the same kind of dreams or whatever it was. And so it never occurred to me until one day I finally asked. And I was in my 20s and Tammy and I were out with my mom and dad and I, I think at least one of the kids were born. So that would have been, would have been Brittany. And we were sitting in a, a restaurant in Warsaw, Indiana. I'm in my mid-20s and... Um, it occurred to me for the first time to ask my mom and dad some questions. It never occurred to me to ask my dad, who grew up Amish, my mom, who grew up Amish, why aren't you guys Amish? And so I said to my dad, I said, hey, dad, why aren't you Amish? I mean, all uncles, all my aunts, everybody in my family is Amish. Why aren't you guys Amish? Why didn't you stay with the Amish community? And my dad kind of grinned at me, as my dad would do. And it was just like this, he began to say, well, Phil, you remember that grandma and grandpa's house, that big field that's out front? And I said, yeah, I, I know exactly what he was talking. He said, well, I was out there with the horses, and I can't remember if he said he was disking or whatever it was, but I think he was disking. And he said, I'm, I'm behind those horses, and I go around and around and around. And he did that, I bet you, eight times, and around and around and he said and I pulled up right in front of the house and I stopped the horses and I said this is stupid why can't I have a tractor and I decided right then and there I was gonna I wasn't gonna be Amish I wanted a tractor and so there you go that's the family history whetstone in a nutshell tractor that was it. That was my dad wanted a tractor. And by the way, I have my dad's tractor. 1954, he got married. Next year he buys a tractor. I got it. <laughs> it's the legacy. My, you would think they'd wear wedding rings. No, it was a tractor. Uh, but that's just kind of it in my family. It just never occurred to me. It always occurred to me. My mom, my mom grew up on the farm in which they lived on their entire married life. And and it just occurred to me. Now, now Grandpa Levi was his name, and my mom was adopted in that family. Levi built that house or was part of the group that built that house, but it was for someone else. But when my mom was nine years old, they moved to that farm, and I just assumed 
that my mom wanted to live there her entire life. They'd been there their entire life, and, and I was shocked to find out. My mom said, no, I didn't want to live with Grandma and Grandpa. I wanted to have our own place. I wanted to have our own house. And, and they had their, in, until Grandma and Grandpa passed away, I mean, they, Grandma and Grandpa were always in the house, and they built on an extra wing. We call it the Dotty House. It's an extra wing of the house where their grandparents stayed. And, and so until the 70s, mid-70s, late 70s with my grandfather, they always lived with my mom and my dad, or my mom and dad lived with them. And it never occurred to me that mom wanted her own place. She wanted to have her own wings. She, they lived there out of necessity, not out of a desire or a, a dream to always live with her parents. And sometimes when you see people, you don't realize they have dreams that were broken. They have, they have regrets. They have things that were disappointing in life. And I don't think oftentimes we think about the fact that in Scripture, they're real people. They had dreams. They had careers they wanted to do. They, they had things they wanted to pursue. And so when you come to the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, this wasn't their dream. This was not how they imagined things happening. And in chapter 1, verse 1 of Matthew, this is how it begins. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. And 41 times you see a similar pattern. There's a father, he has a son. There's a father, he has a son. There's a father, 41 generations, 41 times until you come to Joseph. Verse 16 says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. First time in 42 generations, the father was not the father. The guy who was the lineage carrier, it wasn't his son. He wasn't given credit for that. This belonged to another. And in fact, it says there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, when it says they were pledged, that is way more than simply an engagement. That is a legal, binding first step in a marriage. We've studied this, actually, when we take a look at the return of Christ. But all throughout Scripture, we see the vision of this. We see the culture of this, that you would be given to someone in marriage. You would have a legal, binding relationship. The, the husband would... Uh, have a legal bind to the wife and then the husband would go and he would prepare the place where she would eventually come to live when he was had the home ready he would then come back they would have a celebration they would have a banquet then they would return to the home and then they would live out their lives together that's how it happened in fact one of the great passages on this is actually john chapter 14 when jesus says do not let your hearts be troubled trust in god trust also in me in my father's house are many rooms i go there to prepare a 
place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am also. Jesus is the groom, and he's speaking to the bride of Christ, the believer, and he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place. We're betrothed, we're legally bound, we're, we're married, but I'm coming back for you someday. That's what was supposed to happen. Problem, before he gets back, she's found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had it in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Now what struck me when I was preparing this over the last couple of weeks is what the angel says to Joseph in the dream when he says, Joseph Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, angels at times would say, do not be afraid, but it's because the people were afraid of angels. That's not what's happening in the stream. The angel acknowledges the fact that David is, or David, Joseph is afraid to take Mary home as his wife. Why? Why is he afraid? Well, one of the reasons is likely ridicule. I mean, here's a guy who is betrothed. He's already paid the bridal price. He's already made the arrangement. He's all, I mean, it's one thing if your wife leaves you after you've lived together. They haven't even lived together yet. And while he's away getting the house ready for her, she gets pregnant. And so no matter what culture you're in, that's shocking. But in this culture, it's embarrassing. Here's a guy who likely is in his mid to latter 20s. She is likely in her mid-teens, somewhere between 13 and 17, likely around 15. I know that sounds creepy. It wasn't that unusual in those days. They've made the agreement. They've arranged the marriage. They've signed the contract. They have agreed to be husband, wife, and She's not even been with him yet, and she betrays him. It's pretty embarrassing. But another thing he's afraid of, I think, is his reputation. This is a Jewish man who is a good Jew. He is a righteous Jew. He is earnest in his relationship with the Lord, and he is in an absolutely no-win situation because if he stays and if he leaves, there's gonna be a no win no matter what. Now let's just for an instance talk about if he leaves. If Joseph leaves, he has a wife that has betrayed him, embarrassing, and he also opens Mary up to a very severe discipline. Now we have a hard time gripping this sometime, but I, if we know a little bit about scripture, we know that when you've committed adultery, which that is what she would have been accused of, that's the only way he could have gotten out of the relationship. It's the only way that thing could have been broken. Well, then she would have been worthy of stoning. 
doesn't happen in our society, doesn't make a lot of sense in our society. And we don't really know, but there's this idea in this passage that he's actually kind of fond of Mary. He, he doesn't want to hurt her. He's not trying to embarrass her. He's not trying to, he's not trying to take it out on her. He just quietly, quietly wants to put her away. Do what he has to do, but if he leaves, it's kind of like disgrace and dishonor. But if he stays, he's got another issue. Because if he stays, he is telling everyone he's the father. Nobody stays in that relationship after that happens. So now what he is doing as a man who is part of the synagogue, who is a follower of Jehovah God, who is a righteous Jew, self-proclaimed but also said by Matthew, who is another righteous Jew, he is now admitting to the world, this is my child, which means I committed adultery with her before we were come together as husband and wife. I know it says adultery. The word probably could be communicated as fornication. It's just sex outside of marriage, but it's always translated the same. Any marital relationship physically that's outside of a marital vow, that's considered adultery. He was an adulterer, and oh, by the way, he committed one of the big 10, and he was admitting he was doing that. Plus, if he stays, Every day he is seeing this child and acknowledging this child is his, but he really doesn't know who this child belongs to. Another thing that I think he's at least got to think about, I don't know if he's afraid of, is restitution. Somebody betrays you. There's a part of you that wants justice. He gives that up. He gives, up, he gives up the statement that says he's clear. When a, when a guy is going to marry a woman in this culture, there's something called the bride price. Now, we don't know exactly what that is. Deuteronomy 22 says it's around 50 shekels. For the average worker, that's about five years' wages. Do the calculation. Five-year wages in order to marry the person you're marrying um, Jacob, it was more than that. Jacob gave up seven years of his life for each Leah and Rachel, 14 years of his life in order to marry them. We don't know what the, the bride agreement was, but here's the deal. If she's found to have dishonored him, if she's the one who has committed adultery, if she breaks the bond, he gets that back. He's able to go into another relationship. He's able, actually, to have a little bit of dignity in that he hasn't committed adultery. He actually can still marry into the Jewish community. He can still have a recognized marriage. Yeah, it takes a little time to get over that whole thing. Are you catching what I'm saying? In fact, what's really interesting is he didn't do any of that. And we learn some things about Joseph that are phenomenal. And in fact, there are character issues in him even before he has a dream, even before the angel of the Lord commands him. We start to see this stuff in his life. 
And the first thing that makes him kind of a quiet hero, I know Mary, she's spotlighted and she should be, and Jesus is the main character, and I know the, the supporting cast are the magi and they come with the gifts, and I, I get the angelic choir and the shepherds. That's who you see. Joseph's just always there. You never hear him say anything in a pageant. You just don't see it. I I've never been to a pageant where I've seen Mary sing. I've never seen Joseph sing. It's, he's always kind of the guy that's just there. Let me tell you, he's a pretty, pretty powerful statement from his life. Number one, he's really gracious. Before he has a dream, before he knows the rest of the story, before he has the, the dream, and I don't know about you, I have dreams all the time, I don't always believe them. Before he even has this dream minister to him, he's very kind to her. Because he is a righteous man. He has it in his mind to divorce her quietly, meaning what? He's not trying to hurt her. He's not trying to embarrass her. He didn't go on social media to get his side of the story out. He didn't stand up and have himself declared in the innocent, and he was innocent. I mean, I know a lot of people call themselves innocent. He really was innocent. He wasn't there. Gave up the restitution, gave up all that stuff. In fact, what's really interesting, I think you can make a strong case that Joseph forgave her. He forgave her before he knew the rest of the story. And I don't even have to ask the question. I know a lot of people here have been hurt and I know that there are people who have disappointed you and I know that there are folks that are here that have been betrayed. Can I just tell you, it's pretty powerful in this story how gracious he was. didn't protect his own reputation, didn't feel he had to stand up for himself. For a guy who's really quiet, that's pretty, that speaks pretty loudly. Number two, he was obedient even when it didn't make sense. Notice what it says, he, he has the story. I, I, again, I... I assume we all agree with this, but I don't often hear of a virgin having a child. Can't tell you that I know many of those stories out there. My wife and I joke about it sometimes, but we just, you know, it's like, how, how can this possibly be? Notice what it says. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her, meaning he did not consummate the marriage until after she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Now, now look what he did out of pure obedience. He took her as his wife. We already talked about how kind of crazy that is, but he also waited until birth, until he even had physical union with her. Now, I realize there are individuals that don't think Mary's real. I mean, they kind of think she's this almost deitic individual, but she's really, these really are a typical husband-wife. They did actually sleep together after marriage. They had other children. Scripture bears that out. At least three brothers. We know their names. One of them wrote the book of James. 
When Jesus, what, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says he went specifically to reveal himself post-resurrection to his brother James. His whole family didn't believe who he was until after the resurrection. He had a couple of sisters, at least two, because they're referred to in the plural. So we know there are other children. There are step family. There's half siblings that are in this relationship. We know that about Jesus, but it's interesting. Here's Joseph. He had a right. He had every right. And yet to preserve the testimony of the entire story, he said, I'm not going to take any chances in anybody thinking that this is simply our creation. This is a God thing. In fact, what's interesting, he was obedient in that he even gave up the naming rights. Now, I don't know, maybe that's not a big deal to you, but i got to tell you, in Jewish culture, they lived under something called, in the Roman Empire, called uh, patria protestas father power. Dad's got all the say. I hate to say it, ladies. That's the way it was. Dad's got to name the kids. Dad's got to kind of identify the kids. In fact, it's interesting in the whole story, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist, they also gave up the story. They gave up the rights. In fact, when they were challenged, they said, why are you naming him John? There's nobody in your family by the name of John. It was kind of this whole thing that you would you would name your son, your firstborn son, after a name of someone in the family. Now, for me, I wouldn't say I decided what our children's names were, but I had a part in it. And I got to be honest with you, Calvin, Calvin Philip, <laughs> I never had any illusions of a Philip Jr. or anything like that. But, but I got to tell you, Calvin Philip, I was part of that whole thing. And it's kind of exciting to me. Wesley. Now, we, we actually were going to call Wesley Wesley no matter if he was a girl or a boy. We've heard him both ways. And so, so we kind of prepared for a little girl. I just thought there'd be a little girl. And Wesley kind of shocked us. He came out and he was a little boy. And so we're sitting there and I'm going, what are we going to name him? Right? We don't have a middle name. We hadn't even thought about a middle name for him. We had all kinds of little girl names. And so I just started going through the Bible. Adam. Cain and Abel. I didn't really think either of those was particularly good. Um, Seth. Enoch. There you go. Uh, Noah. Daniel. I remember looking at Tammy and saying, Daniel, a man highly esteemed of God. That's a great name. By the way, what a great name. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize you were, I didn't. There are exceptions, I'm sure. Brittany, um, we had decided Brittany, but I, I think I'm the one that came up with the unusual spelling of which she has never forgiven me. B-R-I-T-T-I-N-I. Siri doesn't even know who I'm talking about. I always have to go, uh, Siri, call Brittany. That's always how I have to say it to get her to call. And the reason is, is that she'll, I, I never, it never dawned on me when she was little. She'll never have a cup with her name on it. She'll never have a, mark, uh, a bookmark with her name on it. She'll never have anything with her name on it unless she gets it printed specifically for her because nobody spells it that way, right? Jackson Philip. I was kind of excited about Jackson Philip. That you don't think, Joseph had dreams? You don't think he wanted his firstborn son to have some kind of a say? I don't know if you've ever been asked to be obedient either according to Scripture or to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. 
when it didn't make sense. Joseph was a guy who was obedient even when it didn't make sense. Number three, he was faithful. He did what a dad does. There is no indication in all of Scripture that he ever treated Jesus any different. He dedicated him as he was supposed to in the temple on the eighth day. Every year, he was discipling his son in how to be a follower of Jehovah God, Yahweh, by taking him to the temple. We see that in the story about when Jesus was 12 years old. He protected his family, put his life on the line. In fact, it's interesting in the Matthew story, chapter 1 going into chapter 2, even in that, there's a reminder to Joseph that this is not your biological son. When the angel spoke to him and said, Herod wants to destroy the child, take the child and his mother. Not your family, not, not your son and wife. It's take the child and his mother. Go live in a country for five years that you have never been to before. And oh, by the way, when you come back, you can't even really go to the place you've already prepared for her because it's a little too close to Jerusalem. So you need to get as far away as possible from Jerusalem. And in Israel, that's Galilee. If you've been there, you know what I mean. It's completely on the other end of where Jerusalem's at. And yet every indication is that he loved him, trained him. He was even known, I gave you a bunch of scriptures, he was known, Jesus, as Joseph's son, as a carpenter's son. And the fourth thing about Joseph that strikes me, that to me makes him kind of a quiet hero, is that he accepted God's purpose in God's story and then he trusted him. God had a story and God didn't fit into Joseph's story. Joseph had to fit into God's story. He becomes kind of a, a secondary character on the primary stage. In a world and a culture where the male voice is the only voice of the family that I'm aware of, there is never recorded a single word that Joseph speaks in Scripture. And I'm guessing he had dreams, but he was willing to forfeit his dreams in order to follow God's dreams for him. Think about that. Three times in his life he's led by dreams, and three times those dreams lead him in a place he didn't really want to go. And I'm kind of challenged with that. Would I give up my dreams to follow what God's dreams for me are? Would you? Lord, I want life to go this way. I want this relationship to go this way. 
I thought this relationship would always be like this. I thought this would always, I thought this would be for, for the rest of our lives and it maybe didn't turn out that way. A few years ago, I was talking to um, a woman in her 60s and Tammy and I have just started talking about, you know, the kids are essentially out of the house. Wesley, you know, floats in and floats out once in a while, but he's entering into his, his senior semester. January will be his senior semester in school. He's a little bit ahead of the game. And so we've started to talk about someday. Feels like a million years away, but it's like, you know, 10, 15 years away. We, we could see. Maybe a little place in Florida or maybe a cabin up north or maybe a whatever. And what do you want to do? It's been kind of fun. Just dreaming together. We never talked that way before. And I was mentioning it to this lady and about the time that her husband was reaching retirement age, they, they went through some pretty devastating physical needs and it changed all their plans. Financially did. Physically did. And when she said this to me, it dawned on me. She said, you know, we always talked about that too, that, you know, life happens. And it caught me, oh, they had dreams too. And there's something about when we go through those unexpected things to just simply be gracious and forgiving and kind and obedient even when it doesn't make sense and faithful, faithful, faithful and trusting God in his story for our life and saying, Lord, whatever purpose you want to bring about, bring it about in me. Even if it wasn't my dream, I want to follow the dream you have for me. So Father, thank you this morning. I, I didn't sit with Sean and plan the day, but then getting here this morning learning that it was going to be kind of a quiet service and then dawning on me last hour how we're kind of watching a quiet man and how powerfully his life spoke. Sometimes, Lord, when dreams are broken, it's really hard. And this doesn't diminish that, but Lord, we trust you and look to you because you're only hope and ask Lord that you would help us to follow the dreams the directions and the answers and obedience that you have for our life and I would really pray Father that my life would speak as loudly for you as what Joseph's did and I don't know when all this is over what part I will have played but Lord I just want to be part of your story bringing glory and honor to your name thanks Lord it's in Jesus name we pray Amen